Well, hopefully you've got um, fast hands because we're going to be jumping around a bit today in the Bible readings. Um, The first reading is going to be from Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be starting from verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then we're jumping to chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And then to verse 21. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on in your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden 
and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thanks, Josiah, for those readings. And I think you got the message. It's all about wisdom. Go home now. Here's a good question for discussion at your next gathering when the conversation lulls. What is the world's greatest need apart from Christ? I knew you'd say that first. Good answers might be world peace, very needful for today in Ukraine, uh, drugs to heal so many diseases and viruses. Food for the starving. Or you could limit the question to the church. What is the church's greatest need? The quick answer again would be Christ. But others might be increased faith, more of the Holy Spirit, more Bible understanding, more knowledge of God, more preachers, we do need those, more Bibles for the nations. But then I need to read to you what James says. And I'll read the uh, first uh, introductory verses up to verse 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of any kind. For you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if you had just read James's opening statements regarding having all joy when you experience trials of many kinds, you may have well said, my greatest need is the ability to endure my trials with joy. That's my greatest need. Well, we all have our trials and hardships, don't we? Pains, anxieties about life. What are yours? I know you've got some. Rearing children, rearing teenagers. Sorry, teenagers. Coping with parents. Oh, there's one for the teenagers. Coping with teachers, peers, adults feeling trapped in their lives, loneliness, bored with the same day repeating itself, financial problems, a lot of those around, the workplace, relationships of many kinds, a conscience that can't forgive others who've sinned against you, coping with disasters, diseases, Traumatic events in your past, accidents, griefs, there are just so many to list. I'd better stop, otherwise it'll be a long sermon. Well, James comes to our rescue this morning and he says to endure trials, we need wisdom. Simple. In his opening salvo, James has directed us to the Christian's need to have a faith it enables me to cope with the calamities of life with joy, peace, calmness of soul and present a testimony to the non-Christian world out there that struggles with life's daily problems and so the pill industry grows richer. For he has declared it in absolute terms, consider it Pure or all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, which is his way of saying every kind. Congregation, this is God's way of handling trials in your life. No exceptions, no buts. And in this, James follows the teachings of Jesus, who said, do not be anxious about your life. Includes everything in that phrase. And James hits the nail on the head a second time to ram the point home because you know, you know, congregation, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now you're all squirming in your seats now, aren't you? because you know you're not there. Well, I don't know about you. Well, I probably have said that about you. But this exhortation is very challenging to my faltering faith. I can see my little faith rather than my big faith that can handle all hardships with joy, all joy. Happily, James is also very aware of the immaturity of my faith and that of his scattered congregations 
and comes to our assistance. What you need for your trials of faith is wisdom. Wisdom from God. That is your constant need, your daily need. If any of you lacks faith, lacks wisdom, it is a gentle reminder to his readers that they are still very imperfect and specifically lacking in this ability to experience joy and afflictions and hardships. That is, we are lacking in wisdom. Of course we're lacking in wisdom, and we know it. How is it possible to have joy in trials, all trials, your trials, mine? I have a terminal cancer. My child has been run over. How do I enjoy that news? How do I enjoy bouts of chemotherapy with joy? How mature is it, my faith, and my marriage ends in divorce? James' answer, and this is God's answer, we need wisdom, and lots of it, daily, to steer through the storms of the day with a God-given peace and joy. Not to be like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind in chaos and confusion. So, what is this wisdom? All James's congregations needed it. I definitely need it. Wilton people need it too. Well, in the immediate context, the first defining feature of this wisdom is that it enables one to endure the trials of life with joy. And that makes it a must-have ability. Agreed? Later on in the epistle, 3.13, James says that this wisdom produces a good life and deeds done in humility. So it's very practical. You see then that wisdom produces more than joy in trials. It produces a mature Christian life, one that is growing into the image of Christ, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is what wisdom produces. But what is it? He hasn't told us that. What exactly is this wisdom that I want, I need? Returning to verse 2, we note that James's first word is the verb consider. Now this is an action of the mind, and this is where wisdom dwells in our minds. Well, you knew that, didn't you? James links wisdom to the Christian mind. We need wisdom to consider his challenging proposition. There are truths we must know and believe with faith. But James doesn't give us any more information. He implies that his readers 
know all about this wisdom. He's taught it to them when they were in Jerusalem before they were scattered. So he doesn't have to repeat it again. He must have been a good teacher. So where do we go from there in our search for wisdom? The New Testament church didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They were still being written. But they were very, very well versed in the Old Testament scriptures, something we tend to forget. We do see it in the writers of the New Testament. They're leaning on the Old Testament all the time. So that's where we shall go now, to search for wisdom. And the Old Testament says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear the Lord? That's the beginning, first step towards wisdom. Wisdom points us to its being a knowledge of God himself. It is knowing that God is real and great, immeasurably greater than myself. And this places me in a position of awe before him having a godly fear and reverence of him. How is that with you? The thrust of the book of Proverbs, as we saw this morning, is that children should get wisdom and build their lives on it. My son, get wisdom above everything else. And the advantage of getting such wisdom when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Your sleep will be sweet. I like that expression. Sweet sleep. Say that to your family tonight when they go to sleep. Have a sweet sleep in the Lord. Have no fear of sudden disaster. For the Lord will be your confidence. Note. Peace in disasters? It sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? Perhaps he got it from Proverbs. So to the extent that I know how great God is in his being and his glory, I can confidently and increasingly put my faith in him for all of life's circumstances. We sang about it before. But singing about it and living it out in our lives are two different things, sadly. I know that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. I know that he has an infinite love for repentant sinners who put their faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the sin bearer. And I know that he is controlling all the circumstances of my life. By his omnipotence, to the extent that I believe that, I possess wisdom. So all this points to my need to know who God really is. That's the point. To know God as he has revealed himself in his word, the scriptures. 
So in congregation, if you want more wisdom, do you know where to go? You go to God's words. I just spent some time over East, and my friend uh, in conversation commented that, yes, he reads the scriptures through twice every year. Twice a year? No wonder he knows God and his wisdom. If you lack wisdom, read the scriptures, because that's where you find God. Nowhere else. <coughs> not in books, not in pills. Go to the book. With such wisdom, it is then very possible, true, to face the hardships of life with peace and joy. And not just joy, but pure joy, perfect joy. This is the genuine faith in Almighty God. We say He's Almighty, but then we live a life in practice that says we don't believe in Him. The testing of my faith congregation will then lead to Christian maturity. Listen to a pastor whose words I read earlier in the year regarding a New Year's greeting to his congregation. He said, if this is the year of our dreams or nightmares, if this is the year we have longed for or the year we are dreading, the easiest year or the most difficult, we can be certain that in some way God is involved in our every circumstance. We can have every confidence that there is no event beyond his jurisdiction, no joy or sorrow unknown to him, no gain or loss that falls outside of his will. We can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that whatever this year brings, it will be exactly the year God has planned for us. The year God means for us to live for the glory of his name and the good of others. With that in mind, I can truly say, Happy New Year! And I'm sure he got a few smiles from his congregation. That's the Old Testament. Great wisdom there. What about the New? In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, and I'm just selecting phrases now, he speaks of God's secret wisdom that has been hidden before time began, but has been revealed now in the plan of salvation. The whole history of God's salvation is his wisdom. To understand that wisdom is to have confidence in God, to know him. He then says that such wisdom was destined for our glory. God's grace to us is to lift us up. He doesn't want us down there groveling. He wants us living a happy, joyful life in him. He also says that this wisdom has been revealed to us by his spirit. There is a spiritual wisdom here, not an earthly wisdom. And it is freely given. We will pursue that thought later. He describes this divinely given wisdom as expressing spiritual truths. We've been looking at that. Which are spiritually discerned. You and I need to discern these spiritual truths because in them is wisdom. And then is finale. I love it. 
The spiritual man is not subject to any of man's judgments. Don't listen to Channel 7, 9, 10, ABC. Because we have the mind of Christ. What an amazing expression. We, the, chur the church in Corinth, hey, that was one of the worst congregations out. But he says we, plural, we have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ. Well, then, I think, why didn't James say that? Well, of course he had. Because you know, and you know too, don't you? That's what he had taught them. That's what you've been taught for decades. That's what they knew already, so he didn't have to repeat it again. And God's people still know it. Here's a German hymn of the 17th century, 400 years ago. Church of those days, this is what they confessed. Whate'er my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint hearts, I take it all unshrinking. Tears pass away with dawn of day, sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. So summing up, this wisdom of God is Christ Jesus himself. He is the mind of Christ. And uh, in the previous verses in Corinthians that Josiah read, Jesus Christ has been made our wisdom. Our wisdom. It is God's eternal plan of salvation, not revealed in its fullness until the cross. A plan so infinite and detailed that it includes his plan for my life and your life, not only for our salvation, but even down to the number of the hairs on your head. Has anybody ever counted the hairs on their head? I, I think it would be pretty impossible. God can. Secondly, this wisdom he imparts freely to all Christians by the work of his Holy Spirit. Freely. You don't feel him doing it. His work is silent. But the way that you think and perceive life reveals it. We see the results in our congregation when a brother or sister shows calmness of soul and spiritual joy as he, she faces the trials that test his or her faith. Possessing spiritual knowledge that accepts trials as God's good will, producing perseverance, maturity, completeness, lacking nothing. Like Job, he bows before God's good and sovereign will. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't say those words really without joy. And later on he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's amazing faith, isn't it? Like Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, having been flogged. Flogged. Singing psalms and hymns at midnight. 
can't sing psalms at midnight without joy and desire, praising God. Thirdly, the process of growing and exercising this wisdom is declared to be developing the mind of Christ in me. That is, developing a Christian mind, a mind that thinks Christianly about all spheres of life, a mind that thinks like Jesus, according to the perfect will of God. Amazing words, aren't they? Ponder them as you go forth from this place. We have the mind of Christ. <coughs> Commonly, we call it the Christian world and life view. So the Christian understands God's purposes in trials. It is the testing and maturing of our faith, understanding what existence on this earth is all about, understanding life as God sees it. Examples? The Christian lives to please God, not himself, nor any other human being. We have a compassion for the needy. We don't neglect them. We view our earthly possessions in a different way to the world's, as God's gifts to be used for his glory, not our own pleasure. We view this life as a preparation for eternity, not the end of existence. It is one of the great blessings and comforts of the Christian life. The assurance that we know from where we've come, how we are to live here before God, and where we are going. Past, present, and future. Now, that is what wisdom is. But how do you get it? Thankfully, James obliges this time and in typical James-like direct and simple words gives the answer. Did you see it? Ask! Ask God for it! James heard Jesus well when Jesus said, Ask and you will receive. And James backs up his almost simplistic answer with the most encouraging words, he gives generously and freely to all without finding fault. Again, we see that this wisdom comes from God. It is not a human origin. And then we see God as a giving God. This is his character. And literally, the Greek reads, let him ask from the giving God. He is clearly more than a giving God, but he is always a giving God congregation. His bounty is unrestricted. He ever gives with a total concern for our needs. It is as if our Heavenly Father has nothing more to do than this. Give wisdom to his people. And the simplicity of receiving this gift of wisdom is further made easy because he is a God who doesn't find fault with us. And you know what that means, don't you? Nothing stands in the way from God's side in giving this wisdom to his children. He has passed over all our faults 
our sins, our rebellions, our disobediences. How? Because the wisdom of God, the one and only Son of the Father, has paid the penalty for all our sins. That is the grace of God, which is freely given also from our giving God. The promise is further strengthened by James when he says, and it will be given him. Just ask. Well, is it just that simple congregation? Just ask? Well, no. There's a catch. James sees a problem that he must now deal with. One that one must ask the Father in the right way. And the right way is described as asking in faith. Asking in faith for wisdom. Now, it's not so much about having a super faith, but one of the right quality. That is a genuine faith, a foundational faith. The problem must be dealt with carefully and seriously because the getting of wisdom is at stake here. The divine way of experiencing joy and peace in the face of life's untold problems. In Hebrews 11.6, we have this concept of foundational faith. Listen to it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's the first thing you need. Faith. Faith in Him. Because anyone who comes to Him, that is, asking, must believe that he exists, of course, and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. James sees the problem as Christians coming to God in prayer, but with the element of doubt, which is the antithesis of faith. And that doubt can range from very small amounts even those who might doubt that God exists through to having a God of your own making, through to knowing Almighty God in all situations of life. Doubt says, I'm not sure that I can believe that God can give me joy in my trials. He's not that powerful. Note a false idea of God. I think I can get through my trials by myself, in my own way, with my sedatives, my psychologists, new friends, a new marriage, a new job. Why? Even a new church. Doubt wants a foot in both camps. Wants to serve two masters simultaneously. And you know that's not possible. James describes such a person as one who is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, unstable in all he does. The doubter experiences seasickness constantly. But note, Jesus always showed compassion and patience with doubters. He didn't cast them away until they come back when you've got faith. No. 
Think of Thomas the doubter. Think of John the baptizer who doubted. So be patient with doubters. Put simply, doubters must learn to put their doubts and questions and fears aside and trust God wholeheartedly, implicitly, as the almighty God who rules his creation with justice and mercy, who is more ready to give you wisdom and joy than you are to ask. That's faith. James' use of the storm metaphor is a good one. For the doubter, all of life is flux and motion, anxiety and discombobulation. I learned that word recently. Discombobulation. See, got a Rob Giesman, he not know all about it. No peace of mind. Calmness. They don't have it. So, my doubting brother, my doubting sister, why would you choose continued seasickness of doubt to the safe haven of faith in the Lord God Almighty? I want now to introduce you to one in our midst this morning who has illustrated such a faith, even a perfect faith, who has endured the bitterest of trials with joy. Who is it? None other than our exalted Lord Jesus Christ, in whose steps we tread as his disciples. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was his trial. Despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Son of God possessed a perfect knowledge of his Father's almighty power and being. So he could totally entrust himself to his Father in his death and perform the Father's will of grace for sinners by enduring our punishment willingly. Scripture even says, not me, Scripture says, even with joy. That's a thought we don't often have when we think about the cross and Jesus' suffering. To be crucified by Romans was a most shameful thing. It declared to the world that you were judged to be a most wicked person. But Jesus knew his Father's will. His death was not for his sins, but for the sins of Romans and Jews who were crucifying him. So he despised that shame, pushed it aside as unjust and meaningless. He could entrust his soul into the safe hands of his Father as he endured God's holy wrath and punishment for our sins. That, congregation, is the mother of all trials. To do his Father's will was his pleasure and joy. And the experience was suffering beyond words, but the endurance was all calmness and peace and joy. So, congregation, as you are disciples of Jesus, go and do likewise. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. 
that word became flesh one day and dwelt among us and fulfilled your perfect word and will because he knew you perfectly. We pray, Father, that you will increase our knowledge of you, your greatness, your glory, your majesty, your love, your mercy, so that we can confidently place our hand in yours and go forth into this world's misery and hardships <clears throat> with joy, pure joy. To the glory of our Saviour we pray. Amen.